We are continuing our series called Wealth, Riches, and Money. And today's lesson is called Seed for the Sower. I didn't pick this. This is the next one in the uh, series. But coincidentally, when David and I went out for Chinese food this week, we got this little fortune. I think it's a, probably a Christian family that owns this restaurant because they're not really fortunes. They're more like wise sayings. And coincidentally, it says, with every deed, you are sowing a seed, though the harvest you may not see. And then the other one said, the first step toward change is awareness. The second step is acceptance. So I will try to bring some awareness, and if you can contribute some acceptance, that might work. The, uh, the idea of seed for the sower comes from a verse we've looked at in the last few weeks, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, several verses. I'm going to read them to you out of the Amplified Bible. You can read along if you have your Bible. If not, it's okay to just listen. And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing, come to you in abundance, so that you may always un- and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support, and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. As it is written, he, the benevolent person, scatters abroad. He gives to the poor. His deeds of justice and goodness and kindness and benevolence will go on and endure forever. And God, who provides seed for the sower and bread for eating, will also provide and multiply your resources for sowing and increase the fruits of your righteousness, which manifests itself in active goodness, kindness, and charity. Thus you will be enriched in all things and in every way, so that you can be generous, and your generosity, as it is administered by us, will bring forth thanksgiving to God. The best quote that I could find to get our minds ready for this lesson is the one up there. Life is not a problem to be solved, but a medium for creation. And if you're not familiar with that word medium, that's something, medium or media is something an artist would use to describe what kind of work they do. I work in clay, or I work in watercolors. Well, we work in life. Um, this, door, this is from Dorothy Sawyer, who was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. I think if you... If you forced me to describe God in one word, it would be impossible because there is no word that can fully encompass God. But my two runners-up would be he's an artist and he's a lover. When I read the Bible, I see it as a love story that takes 7,000 years to play out. And the lovers are God and his people. And this is kind of hard for us because our scope is usually me, the people around me, the time I live in, maybe we can imagine something that happened 200 years ago, but generally we have trouble thinking 7,000 years. You know. um, but if we look at God as an artist, we see him constantly creating. And that can be creating from beginning, or sometimes you'll see an artist two months later, they're still painting or still doing what they're doing. A great example, and this isn't probably what you would think of as a typical artist, would be an apple farmer because he takes seed and he plants it and he does everything he needs to do to the soil and to the plants and all that to grow apple trees so we can have apples. But if you trace it back to where it all began, 
inevitably, that and every other creative work begins with God, because God's the one that made the apple seed. I don't know if he made the apple tree first or the seed. Nevertheless, it still all goes back to him. So the apple farmer is co-creating with God. He's partnering with God to create something new. And every artist, I think, is doing that if they're tuned in with the Spirit. I told uh, Camille today that if she agrees with anything I say, and if any of you, what I say is something that resonates with you, you've experienced it either in the Bible or in your life, it's okay to go ahead and say something. Exactly. In fact, I told her, go ahead and pretend you're in a black church. And thank you. Thank you very much. And the reason for that, one of the things I love most about predominantly African-American churches, many of them really understand the concept of witness. The word says that from the mouths of two or three witnesses, things will be established. So it's all fine and good if I'm giving you the word of God. But if other people also recognize that it's true and say so, that just adds a lot more to it. And I say that because I think this topic is one that the enemy especially wants to scramble the signals and make it hard for us to hear. So, you're welcome to pitch in. Okay, it's important that we overcome our programming of seeing ourselves as consumers. We are not primarily consumers. We are creators. We are givers. It's part of our DNA. If I was made in the likeness of God, if the Spirit of God lives in me, then I should be like God, and God is a constant creator. So try for the next 45 minutes or so to see yourself as a sower. A sower is one who plants seeds for growth, especially by scattering, not by holding back, but by scattering. He's someone who sets things in motion, like beginning an enterprise. Another word for sowing is dispersing, and dispersing comes from the same root as a spark, a spark something. So the way I see it, I'm not a farmer, but I sow when I plant understanding in someone's mind by sharing the word. Or I plant hope in someone's heart. Or I add my energies to their efforts. Or I contribute with material things or with money to somebody's needs or somebody's projects. That's part of how I'm sowing. Now, typically, when someone asks you what you do or where you work, you answer, I work at Burger King, or I work for the Spurs, right, or work at Walmart. And that's a correct answer to that question, but I'm hoping in our hearts as Christians there's something deeper going on. Um, in our hearts, we should be answering with this scripture I want us to read together, if you would read with me. I've adapted it from the Amplified by substituting the word I for the word you, but otherwise it's what it says. Can you help me? Whatever might be my, may be my task, I work at it heartily from the soul as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing with all certainty that it is from the Lord and not from men that I will receive the inheritance which is my real reward. The one whom I am actually serving is the Lord Christ, the Messiah. And that's from Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. Let's go on to the next slide so I can read it to you, and you can just listen this time. This is as it's interpreted in contemporary language in the message version, and I've added the next verse as well. He says, servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters, and don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do 
your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God. Confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind, always, that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. And I would suggest that honor, especially the kind that builds God's reputation, is part of the currency of the kingdom. We've been talking about how things work on earth and how things work in the kingdom of God, which Jesus said was at hand, nearby, within reach. There's things we do that pull it into our experience. So currency is a means of exchange. If I go to a foreign country, I'm going to use euros or pesos, something other than the dollar problem. Someday, read through the Bible and try to see what is the currency of the kingdom. I suggest that some of it is our listening to God. This is what we bring. Our repentance, our faith, our obedience, our worship, and our honor for God. This is what we bring. God sends blessings in return. We are going to do an interactive exercise, but it is also a contest, and that means there's a prize for the winner, and it's more than a candy bar. It's something you could potentially share with your group. There's going to be a nice prize for the person who comes up with the best idea for showing honor to someone. But before we start that, I want to tell you a story to kind of help you understand the question. A few weeks ago, I saw this in the news, a few weeks ago there were two high school guys who were getting ready to graduate from high school and go to college. They're from Maryland, and they're pretty good football players, so there's colleges that have been trying to recruit them, and one of them was the University of Nebraska. So the university flew them out to Nebraska to see the campus and do all that stuff. So these two guys have seen the campus. Now they're back on the plane, headed back to Maryland. They're back in the coach section. And they strike up this conversation with this really nice guy who knows a lot about football. And so he just seemed like a regular old guy. He knew about football. In fact, he's a big Cornhuskers fan, so he knew about these high school recruits. He knew their names. He knew stuff about them. So that totally blows him away because he's a total stranger. And, you know, maybe one day these guys will be big NFL stars, but right now they're not used to total strangers knowing who they are. So they start talking, and they start to figure out who this man is. And then they're really blown away. And I have to admit, I would never have known this guy, especially if I saw him in the coach section of a plane if he wasn't in his work uniform. So here he is in his work uniform. He is Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Now, you may or may not like his politics or his decisions. You may have questions about, you know, his past. But here's the point. For two African-American young men to meet the first black Supreme Court justice in the history of this country, it's a big deal to them. And for him to know them, that was a real honor. And they wanted to honor him back. So how do you do that? Well, they asked their high school principal if they could invite Justice Thomas to come speak at the graduation. She said, well, okay, but, you know, he's a real busy guy. You might want to have a plan B. Well, they not only came, he not only came and spoke at their graduation, he left Washington, all that, but he also gave each of them a really big, heartfelt hug when they crossed the stage to get their diploma. Now, I want you to think of someone that you admire 
that it would blow your mind if they walked in right now and they knew you and they knew you by name and they knew something about you. Anybody got somebody in mind? Sort of? Okay. Now I want you to get together in groups of no more than four, so find two or three people. Brainstorm the answer to this question. If that person you're thinking of was to come visit you, what would you do to honor them? What would you do to make them feel super special? And give them a plaque, but I'm telling you, that's not going to win the prize. So. so, the more original, best idea wins the prize. We have two minutes. Go. Okay. We have about seven or eight groups. Who thinks they have a real original idea for honoring someone? Benjamin, does this microphone on? Uh, that show Robot Chicken, if the guy who created it showed up, I'd give him a rubber chicken. This is original. Would he feel honored? I'm not I don't know. Oh, uh, okay. It is original. This is original. Carrot Top would feel honored by that. I think Camille has one. No germs, is that? Did you put germs on this? <laughs> the person that I thought of this morning is uh, Michael Douglas Smith because I really, really um, am honored by his worship and by his heart. Um, and to honor him would not be to put a plaque on the wall or to but to invite him over to my house for sandwich and chips and have him help me do the dishes afterwards. I think he would feel honored. I honestly do. This this is original. Doing the dishes, not something I've heard of before, okay? Yeah, we said uh, our person is George Strait. He lives right here in San Antonio. If you what were happens? to visit, uh, we'd write him our own country song. Hey. I bet nobody's ever done that for him. <laughs> okay. Uh. I thought of um, Chris Tomlin because he's a fellow worship leader, and I would be really excited if he showed up and knew something about me, the world worship leader me. And what I thought might be cool is if he showed up and we had this huge theatrical video production and it was all centered around several local songs. Adam and Cindy and I 
And what we came up with was that we'd all be speechless, most likely, but um, given some time that we would research and find out their likes and dislikes as far as food and drink, et cetera, et cetera, and have those things available. Um, one, one of our um, people that we really like is uh, Dave Ramsey. And so it, I was thinking about the, or, you know, what was a way that, you know, if he knew who we were and we could honor him. And I, and I was thinking, uh, if you listen to the show, he's a financial uh, financial counselor and he gives advice to people on the radio about their finances. And he kind of does it from a Christian perspective. And uh, I think what would be really honoring is if, uh, you know, um, have him come and, you know, cut up our credit card, like in person, you know, and like, you know, uh, you know or, and then just shred it. And then we can just like have a little confetti party with the classic and just like, it's like, you, you know, have screen debt free and all that stuff. That would be, I think it'd be kind of fun. Is that it? These are contenders. One more. I uh, I shared that um, I would I would honor somebody by uh, finding out you know you know what they like and and uh, doing things for them that they like and uh, finding out about them and, uh, and and just honoring and respecting them. All right. So I don't have an official applause meter, but, you know, I think we'll be able to tell. So, so let's hear it for the Rubber Chicken Award. Let's hear it for the cutting up the credit cards into confetti and having a big debt cancellation party. I think both of the groups back here had... Um, finding out what the person really likes and honoring them by doing those things. Okay, how about the sandwiches and help me do the dishes? How about the write him a country song? And how about the theatrical production using his music? Okay. I don't know. Maybe it's sounding louder the last two. Do we have a runoff? Okay. Country song. Theatrical production using his music. <laughs> okay. I think Chris Tomlin wins it. And what we have is the Taco Cabana gift card good for more than one meal. So if you want to share it with your group, you can. And the winner is Chris Tomlin, Theatrical Production. Did we already do that? Yeah. Okay, let me catch up. So did you know that God, the ultimate VIP, knows your name and stuff about you? So what can we do to honor God? What does that word even mean to God? <laughs> Move on, enough of that. Um, 
We are to give God what he's due in many ways, including the decisions we make about money that comes to our hands. Let's, let's pray as I really get it. Lord, we want to honor you and exalt you and glorify you every day and in everything we do. Lord, we ask that you would train our eyes and our ears to see the ways that we can do that. Lord, we ask your spirit to rise up within us to overcome what the flesh wants to do and to do what glorifies you most in each situation. Lord, we thank you that you are our source, not only for the things we need, our daily bread, but also for what we can contribute to others. Lord, we ask that you would increase our faith in that realization when circumstances try to scare us and walk our boat. Lord, I ask that you would bless the next few minutes as we share the truth in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I want to look at a Hebrew word. That word is kabod, which means to be weighty or heavy. And it's often translated honor. And we look to see it in English. And the concept is to be laden with something tangible. The first time this word shows up in the Old Testament is in reference to Abram being a wealthy man. That's Genesis 13:2. Abram had become very wealthy, kabod, in livestock and in silver and in gold. This time it's translated wealthy, but it's the same Hebrew word for honor. Kabod is honor in the sense of being the opposite of shame. But it's also to have a substantial portion of financial provision. So how do we honor God? Because I don't see him walking around with this bag of gold coins or something, you know. Um, and this is important to him. Let's look at what he told the people through Malachi. And this is from the message version. He said, isn't it true that a son honors his father and a worker honors his master? So if I'm your father, where's the honor? If I'm your master, where's the respect? I think he was expecting it. And if these people had been honoring him, then they could have come out with a list of, well, God, we honored you this way and this way, and we respected you here and there. But they didn't. Instead, they come back with this lame, well, when did we not honor you? And if you think about it, today we honor celebrities in general, and part of the way we do that is by giving them our money. Now, they might not walk by and you hand them, the money, but you buy tickets to their movie or their concert, you buy the jersey with their name on it, okay? This is part of how we give them the honor we think they deserve. And their wealth is also part of what makes them interesting. It's kind of like the wealthier they get, the more of a celebrity they become just because they're wealthy, besides the talents or whatever. Okay, kabod means a weighty substance. So to honor someone has to be a lot more than just obeying them. I want you to think about the fifth commandment where it says we should honor kabod, that's the word it uses, honor our father and mother. And many of us think this just means you obey your parents, you respect them, and it certainly means that, but it means a lot more. I want to look at something Jesus had to say about it. Um, in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus was dealing with a church that had started telling people, Okay, look, if you have some money budgeted for your elderly parents to take care of them, 
it's okay to take that money and instead give it to the church because, hey, you're honoring God and it's good to honor God. And so this is what Jesus said to them. Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor, Kabod, your father and mother. And anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is now a gift devoted to God, then he's not to honor his father with us. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor Kabod, me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. And sometimes, even in our thinking about giving, we can be following rules taught by men instead of really doing it from the heart. And it's interesting that Jesus connected the two concepts together, honor and cursing, and both of them having to do with money. You can see, in Hebraic thinking, to curse someone isn't just to verbally beat them up. Withholding a blessing is also a way of cursing someone. So if your parents are dependent on money from you to survive and you withhold that blessing, you're cursing them. Now, the Hebrew word for curse in Exodus 21.17, where it says anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death, is galal. I may or may not be pronouncing that right which means to be light or small in weight. So honor is heavy, curse is light. And we even kind of use that in, in our own language when um, we say about someone, well, I'm going to take that lightly, or I give more weight to what so-and-so says. Right? Can you see we're holding back a monetary blessing as a curse? Does that make sense? And can you see where that kind of blessing can be a way of honoring someone? If we have a missionary come by, we respect the work that they're doing, we want to support that, that's a way of honoring them if we support them financially. Can you see where that could be a way of honoring God by supporting someone who's working for him? Now, Jesus rebuked the leaders of his day, not because he didn't want people giving money to the church. That wasn't the point but because they were using that as a cover, you know, honoring God as a cover for doing something dishonest, which is taking money away from the elderly parents. So giving money to the church is good, don't misunderstand me, but taking money away from your elderly parents is not good. You should give to the church and take care of your parents. Okay, so there is a way to honor God honestly, and that's what the principle of tithing is all about. And to tithe means to set aside a tenth of your resources for the work of the kingdom. Very, very simple explanation. And that doesn't mean what you have left over after pay all the bills. That means a standard amount of at least a tenth of your resources. And for us, that's usually our income. Back in the day, it used to be the crops. It was a tenth of their corn or what have you. For us, it tends to be income, but I think we have other resources too, and we'll talk about that. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Honor Kabad, God, with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Okay, if you come over to my house to eat and I want you to feel special, I'm going to serve you first. 
I'm going to bring the brick plate of whatever it is, and not only am I going to serve you first, I'm going to give you the best steak or the best whatever I have. Shouldn't we do that for God? Give him our first and our best if we're trying to honor him? But why does he want that? Is it because he's broke? Is that why he wants our money? Psalm 24.1 says, The whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I don't think he needs our money. That's not why he asks to be honored. Remember, it's a type of currency. He, he wants us to honor him so that he can then honor or bless us. This is how it works in the kingdom. 1 Samuel 2, verse 30, the last part of the verse, says, Those who honor me, I will honor, Kabad, but those who despise me, I will be disdained. You see the exchange? We give him honor. He gives us honor or blessing. There's, I don't know how many hundreds of years, been a raging debate about whether tithing is a commandment for New Testament Christians. And can you see the cartoon up there? Am I in your way? It's a funny cartoon, but it's a serious question. Are 21st century Christians commanded to tithe the way the people in the Old Testament were commanded to tithe? And I am not going to answer that question today. And I'll tell you why. Because it's the wrong question. The wrong question because the answer makes no difference, at least in my life. The answer to that question makes no difference. Let me try to break this down logically. Now, if we wanted to nitpick it and argue it for the next three years, we could do that. But we're going to try to keep it simple. Either we are commanded to tithe, or we're not. Okay? If we're commanded to tithe, then I need to tithe. Easy enough? But if we are not commanded to tithe, and that was something that was just the law for the Old Testament people, I still need to tithe. Why? Because even if, even if I accept the concept that tithing is a law from the Old Testament that I no longer need to obey, it is still a law in how the kingdom of God works. So the difference is whether we're talking about a rule in a legal system or a phenomenon in the spiritual world, much like the phenomenon or law of gravity in the physical world. See, the law of gravity isn't something I have to obey. If I don't obey the law of gravity, I'm not going to jail for two years. However, it's something I need to respect. If I drop a glass, it will fall. It will probably break. If I just start walking off this stage, I'm going to go down to the ground. So if I'm wise, I understand how things work. I'm going to be careful not to drop fragile things. If I want to get off the stage, I'll go down the stairs, or at least I'll jump in a way where my feet are prepared for the impact, right? Now. If we were on the moon, different set of laws. Gravity works completely differently, right? Okay, well, money works a certain way in the world system. and In the kingdom of God, it works in a very different way. In the fourth chapter of his letter to the Philippian church, Paul tries to explain something about how finances work in the kingdom. And it might help to understand that the Philippians were not the wealthiest church in the world and they also didn't just give Paul money when he came to help them and minister to them. Even when he was traveling to other cities, they were still supporting him. So let's look at what he says in uh, Philippians 4:14. But it was right and commendable and noble of you to contribute for my needs and to share my difficulties with me. And you Philippians yourselves well know that in the early days of the gospel ministry, when I left Macedonia, 
no church assembly entered into partnership with me and opened up a debit and credit account in giving and receiving except you only. I'm saying there's some kind of debit and credit account in the kingdom. Hmm. For even in Thessalonica, you sent me contributions for my needs, not only once, but a second time. Not that I seek or am eager for your gift, but I do seek and am eager for the fruit which increases to your credit, the harvest of blessing that is accumulating to your account. As they are supporting Paul, they have an account that's growing. Even though they're sending stuff away, their account is growing. But I have your full payment and more. I have everything I need and am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent me. They are the fragrant odor of an offering and sacrifice which God welcomes and in which he delights. I think these gifts were probably not just some leftovers they sent. He uses the word sacrifice. And my God will liberally supply, fill to the full, your every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. In the world, if I let go, get rid of some of my money, then I have less money to pay my bills. Right? But in the kingdom, if I take some of the money I have and I use it in obedience to God for the work of his kingdom, I don't have any less ability to pay my bills or to get my needs met. And that's because, like we've discussed the last few weeks, my source, my supply, is not my paycheck. It's not my savings account. It's not the equity in my home. God is my source. And his ability is not decreased when I let go of money. Does that resonate with anyone? Getting the way more? Thank you. Okay, here's how the author of the book, Wealth, Riches, and Money, describes it. He says that tithing is what keeps the window open to the treasure in heaven account. He says it's like an ATM card. That gives you access to your bank account, right? And he goes on to explain that your gifts and special offerings, the stuff beyond that 10%, beyond what you regularly give, that's what builds up your treasure in heaven account. But without the tithe, you can't access the banking system of heaven. You might have money in the account, but if you don't have that ATM card, you go to the machine and talk to it, nothing's going to happen, right? So that's something to think about. And for you to, as you read your Bible, see what it says for yourself. Okay? Could we agree that setting aside 10% of our income for the work of the kingdom is at least a good starting place? It's a good guideline. A good minimum. Okay. And somehow this minimum seems to act as a tipping point in the kingdom, in the spiritual realm. It's like Satan can handle our wasting, say, 5%. On kingdom stuff. Yes. I asked David to tell me when it was a certain point. And I'm way behind. Um, if we're fooled into thinking that giving less than 10% means we're doing our best, then Satan's fine with that. So this is why God gave us a guideline. This is where things start to change. When we get to treating as holy the first 10% and beyond, apparently that's when Satan realizes that we are mocking his rule and reign in our lives. Martin Luther said, the best way to drive out the devil, if he will not yield to text of scripture, is to jeer and flout him, for he cannot bear scorn. But instead of scorning the devil, we tend to scorn and rob God. We don't even realize we're doing it. 
And just like the people that Malachi was talking to, the ones who said, well, when did we not respect you? They also said, when did we rob you? This is what God had to say. Will a man rob or defraud God, yet you rob and defraud me? But you say, in what way do we rob or defraud you? You have withheld your tithes and offerings. That's Malachi 3.8. And see, when we don't tithe, we deny ourselves the opportunity to access that account in heaven. But we also rob God of the opportunity to bless us. I think of a tithe as just what's due because I'm part of the body of Christ, just like when I'm part of the family, I need to be part of taking care of it. I'm part of the body of Christ, so I need to take care of part of the work of the kingdom. And I don't necessarily expect God to bless me for that. He will, but I'm not saying, hey, hey, look here. You know, this isn't some kind of slot machine I put in my dollar. You you give me $10 back. It's kind of like paying a loan at the bank. If I borrowed $5,000 and I go and pay it off, I don't then say, okay, where's my interest? I just gave you money. Where's my interest? No, I've just paid off my loan. If I want interest, I need to deposit beyond paying that loan. Now, you might say, okay, Mariana, you don't understand. I can't afford to live on less than what I make. Okay, let's look at the story of the widow. I'm not going to read through it. It's found in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. This is a woman who had lost her main source of income, her husband. And she had two coins. And Jesus said it was all she had. She could have kept them, and we would have understood, but she didn't. And have you ever wondered why she gave both coins? I mean, if she just gave one coin, that would be 50% of what she had. That's a whole lot more than the tithe. I'll tell you why. Because this woman understood she wasn't just a consumer. She was a sower. If you have two seeds and you eat them, you might as well lie down and die. There's not going to be any more, right? But if you have two seeds and you plant them, you're probably going to get two trees that will give you hundreds of seeds for the next harvest, right? Now, I know what you're thinking. You know, Mariana, it takes time for plants to grow, and in the meantime, I'm going to starve. Okay? Well, that depends on who you are depending on to provide for you. And I think what enabled her to give those two coins is that she belonged to a people who tithed. They got it. So the church was her storehouse. She could go there in her time of need until her harvest came in. But what about the church today? Well, in Jesus' day, he was able to say, when you tithe, like everybody did it. He didn't say if you tithe. He said when you tithe. But today, not everyone contributes 10% of their resources to the church, and that might include you. And you might say, well, look, I hardly make enough money to stay alive, so there's no way I can give 10% to the work of the church. Okay, let's look at that idea. Let's go to the next um, slide. There's a corn stock representing 100%. We're going to say that's 100% of what all Christians in America Or it's actually 100% of all Christians in America. Well, we know that 12% more or less of Americans live below the poverty level. You could say, okay, they can't afford to tithe. So here's a corn stock that shows you what 12% looks like. So we can imagine that maybe 12% of Christians live below the poverty level, and so maybe they, they have a good reason. But let's say it's more. Let's say poor people tend to be attracted to Christianity more than the general population. In fact, Let's say that it's twice as much. So here's a corn stock showing what the 24% looks like. Okay, can you see them? 
kind of like. Okay. Now, if we accept the idea that 24% of Christians simply can't afford to tithe, and I am not saying that's a biblical idea, just taking it for the sake of argument, then I would expect that the number of Christians who don't tithe is about 24%. What do you think that number actually is? Seems like a lot. Anybody else? Somewhere north of fifty? Okay, did we show the last corn stock? Eighty five percent of Christians do not tithe. Now do you really expect me to believe that eighty five for eighty five percent of Christians living in the richest nation on earth? cannot afford to live on 90% of what they make. They make 100 times more than anybody else, but they can't afford to live on 90% of what they make, really. Obviously Obviously, I don't believe that. First, because if God says we can live on 90%, that means we can live on 90%, regardless. Okay. But even if you can't swallow that, surely the number of people that you would excuse would say, okay, they really can't afford to tithe has to be lower than 85%. Right? So what does this mean? It means a lot of us have been deceived. Either we've been deceived into thinking we can't afford to tithe, or we've been deceived about how important it is. You want to know why I'm passionate about this? Because whenever I see the loss of life or some kind of tragedy, I say, where's the church? A child dies every three seconds from hunger-related diseases. We can talk about abortion and suicide. We could even talk about something as narrow as the difficulty in adopting special needs kids. There are people who are willing to adopt these kids, but they don't have the money. If we were all honoring God by tithing and by doing extra offerings, how much money would the church, the church in general, have to take care of these needs? Instead of saying, well, the government has to have some welfare program to do it. But somehow we can't afford to do that, but we can afford to honor the government with up to 50% of our income. That's what some say we pay in taxes by the time you pay property tax, income tax, fuel tax, sales tax. And I have yet to go to a gas station and hear somebody telling the, the cashier, hey, listen, um, I know the pump says $22, but here's $20 because I can't really afford to pay the fuel tax. They don't do it at the store. They don't do it at the gas station. But we come into church and we say, sorry, I can't afford that 10%. If you have any sort of income and you believe you can't afford to live without 10% of it, I suggest you get some counseling from your pastors, from your group leaders, Find a way to test God in this and see if he won't make it up when you tithe. And if you have zero income, then consider what else you have as a resource because what people brought to the temple was their resources. So if you have time, if you have energy, if you have any kind of skill or talent, are you contributing 10% of those to the kingdom? And even if you do tithe regularly, you're able to and you do it, Checking out what you're doing with the rest of your resources. If you have a home, is that home used for the kingdom at least three days out of the month? Write your car. I'll get a picture. 
every time you are convinced that you cannot give, but you give anyway, it's an act of worship that profanes the spirit of mammon. It jeers and scorns the devil. This is why the worse off you are, the more potential you have to display the power of God. Often when we talk about worship, we're talking about singing and making music. My most powerful times of worship have been when I came to church and sang my heart out. Even when my marriage had just ended, or I lost custody of my kids, or my father died, or my mother died. Because it's easy to sing about how wonderful God is when everything's going right. But when you affirm that truth, even when the circumstances are telling you something else, that's a real act of worship and a real sacrifice. And there was power in that. And it's the same thing with giving when you don't think you can give. Did you know that giving can be an act of worship? Did you know that it generally involves some sort of sacrifice? Once when King David needed to perform a sacrifice, someone offered to provide the animals. He was traveling, and so someone said, okay, here you can have my cattle. And that would have been fine if David was only performing a ceremony, an obligation. But David was at his very core a worshiper. Anything he gave to God was an act of worship, including this. And so this is what he said. So he said, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. That's 2 Samuel 24, 24. The message puts it this way. No, I've got to buy it from you for a good price. I'm not going to offer God, my God, sacrifices that are no sacrifice. So my own personal guideline is that for my giving to be an act of worship, it has to cost me something. Right now, if you went in my purse and you took a penny, I wouldn't even miss it. In fact, you could probably take $10 and it wouldn't affect my lifestyle very much. Last week when I paid $100 for antibiotics and then found out they were the wrong antibiotics, I was disappointed. And if something cost me $1,000, that would, that would affect my lifestyle. So hopefully when I give to Kingdom Work, it's more than a penny, it's more than $10. It's more than $100. And that's for me at this point in my life. Don't get focused on the, on the amount. Because there was a time in my life when if you asked me for $10, I'd probably give it to you, but it meant I wouldn't eat for two days. So the, the amount isn't the point. It's what, how much it costs you that's the point. If the amount you are identifying as holy, as set apart for the work of the kingdom, is an amount you can afford to just lose, then that's probably not sacrificial worship. Let's look at a couple more verses. There is one who scatters yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. This is kingdom economy. Someone's letting go, and yet they're still increasing. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. That's from Proverbs 11, 24, and 25, and then the New King James Version. I want to read it from the message because it really expresses how the kingdom works. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. This is the kingdom economy. Now let's compare it to the world's economy. The world system thinking goes like this. 100% of income minus 10% for tithe leaves only 90% for my responsibility. Right? In other words, what do I, I have to find a way to make do with only 90%. That's the world thinking. 
That's what God says. Let's look at what God says. In the kingdom system, system 10% is first dedicated to God. And you add to that the rest of what God provides, and it always equals more than 100% of what I need. It's adding instead of subtracting. In other words, I always have more than enough, even after I take my hands off the first 10%. Now, I know some of you are thinking about the bills you have and how even 100% of your income is not enough. But if you come up and you tell me that, you're going to kind of get a blank stare. Because I'm living in the kingdom, baby. At least as much as I know how. And I have seen over and over and over again that even with zero income in our lives and the lives of others, even with zero income, God can provide for the needs of people who are faithful in tithing and making offerings. And I cannot explain how that works to you any more than I can explain to you exactly how gravity works. Just know it works. I've lived it. So if you come tell me it doesn't work, it's like telling me gravity doesn't work. I'm going to look at you funny. We don't have time to study this in depth, but Malachi went on to say in Malachi 3.10 that by withholding, giving, offering, and tithes, and by so doing, that by so doing, quote, you yourselves have cursed yourselves. Because by staying stuck in the world system, you don't have access to the kingdom system. Not only that, he says that 10% that's supposed to be dedicated to God is going to be destroyed anyway. The car's going to break down. Somebody's going to overcharge you for something. You may think you're hanging on to that 10%. You're not. So how do we reverse the curse? We do it by bringing all the tithes into the storehouse. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring all the tithes, the whole tenth of your income, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And prove me now by it, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. God advises this because he wants to bless us. He wants to give us access to that treasure in heaven account. So your tithe, your access, opens the window. It's like the card that goes into the ATM. But it's got to be a valid form of worship, a valid tithe. So if you use an expired ATM, I won't look at anybody, ATM card, it's not going to work. Right? Okay, remember... And Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rule taught by men. You can't be just paying a tithe out of an obligation and expect the kingdom system to kick in. We're supposed to cheerfully bring our tithe. Okay, I want to be clear about something. When we tithe, when we redistribute part of our wealth, our riches, or our money, that check may be made out to a church but you're not tithing to the church. You're tithing, you're sacrificing, you're setting aside for Jesus, period. But if my attitude about tithing is wrong, whether it's about my money or other people's money, the enemy can stir up all sorts of hard feelings, all sorts of trouble. Did you ever realize the whole problem with Cain and Abel had to do with their offering, what they brought to worship? I don't have time to go into it a lot. But there is a type of sacrifice, like a tithe or an offering or a gift, that is not acceptable to God. And when Cain realized, and when he realized that what he was bringing wasn't acceptable, he got so riled up, he murdered his brother. So this tithing thing isn't just this little doctrinal matter, and you can believe what you want, and I'll believe what I want. This is about how the kingdom of God works and how you live in it. 
a true tither, someone like King David who's a man after God's own heart, is someone whose attitude is correct. He's not tithing out of a sense of obligation, and he's not tithing because he thinks it's a slot machine and that'll get him money. Okay? We're supposed to prepare our tithe and, to, and do that by a little self-checkup. And growing up in the Catholic Church, I was trained to do this every time I took communion. I did a little checkup of where I was with God. But how many people actually do that before they give money? Deuteronomy 26, I'll go through it real fast. Deuteronomy 26 talks about that process, to prepare the tithe. Um, God says to do it with thanksgiving, Deuteronomy 26, verses 1 through 4. Read it later. Trust me, with my little synopsis. He says to do it remembering what God has brought you through. That's Deuteronomy 26, 5 through 9. Do it with thanksgiving, doing it recognizing what he has brought you through before. Do it as a form of worship. That's Deuteronomy 26, 10 through 13, and that worship includes helping others. And do it rejoicing in obedience and submission. That's the last part of Deuteronomy 26, 13. Okay, the next picture is supposedly a chunk of the Berlin Wall, which has been turned into a work of art that encourages us to change how we live. And that's kind of like the change they made in their country when that wall came down. If you're feeling badly about how you have approached the idea of tithing, or maybe you haven't given much attention to the concept of honoring God, how do I honor God? I want you to think about this quote from a guy named William Alexander. If you were doomed to live the same life over and over again for eternity, would you choose the life you are living now? The question is interesting enough, but I've always thought the point of asking it is really the unspoken, potentially devastating follow-up question. That is, if the answer is no, if you wouldn't want to live this life over and over again, then why are you living the life you are living now? Stop making excuses and do something about it. So if you're feeling convicted about this area of your life, just make up your mind right now to do something about it, to change your life. Remember that God made you to be a sower, someone who doesn't eat their seed or hoard their seed, but scatters it wisely in order to multiply themselves. So if you have hope, scatter it so that hope multiplies. If you have wisdom, scatter that. If you have money, scatter that. But do it biblically. And that means you start by sowing your tithe into the work of the kingdom, and then our daddy can give us more and more seed when he sees that we're trustworthy. So besides tithing to the church, you need to be giving special offerings to the work of the kingdom in different ministries, different ways. And remember, God is very able to provide for you after you start living on less than 90% of your income. In fact, that's when he will most be able to bless you. I've read a lot of books and listened to speeches on success, financial success, life success. And even people who aren't teaching from a Christian perspective will tell you you need to give 10% of your money away. They'll also tell you you need to save 10% and you need to invest 10% in yourself and your ability to keep creating wealth. It just works. It's like gravity. If you would like prayer, 
please come to the front and some of the people who are twinning doing that will sow into you with their prayers and their love. And other than that, be blessed to go and serve the Lord. Find ways to honor him. Also.